Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So this week we are starting our brand new series, Stress Less, and we're going to talk about stress and depression and anxiety and worry. And what does the Bible have to say about the subject and what does the Bible say about it. It's easy in the world that we live in now to be constantly overwhelmed by stress. We live in a crazy fast-paced world that never seems to stop. If you have children, you know that it only continues to increase and I'm hoping that maybe it decreases when they leave home, but I surely don't think that that's the case given how life has gone thus far. You, you, you find yourself even, uh, you say you get, you get married and all of a sudden the pace of life increases and you go, there's never an end. And then you move forward and you go, I have children. Now it never ends. And then you go, and then work increases and the stress and the pace of life never slows down. So it's easy for every one of us to relate to this idea of stress and even anxiety and worry and depression. And it's easy for all of us to feel the weight of the world around us. It's as if the wave just keeps hitting after wave, after wave, after wave. This past week, we were able to, uh, we were out of town and we were on vacation. Uh, We were celebrating my parents' uh, 40th wedding anniversary, which is a really cool thing. It was my mom's 60th birthday in September and my parents' 40th anniversary in October. So my dad said, what do you want for birthday anniversary? He said, I want you to take me and my kids to the beach. And so we said, we'll be obedient and go. And so... um, (laughs) And so that was like the running joke between me and my siblings the whole time we were there. Like, we just want to be obedient. So if you want to go play golf today, we will, right? Like that was, so that happened twice. Thank you, Lord. It was wonderful. It was great. But there was one day we were at the beach and we were hanging out in in the water and and just having a lot of fun. And the waves were coming in. They were pretty big waves, pretty substantial where we were, especially compared to anything on the Texas coast or anything on the Gulf for that matter, as as far as the waves are concerned. And so these waves kept coming in and, and we're out there, we're just riding the waves, right? It was just a lot of fun. We're out kind of just as the swell just kind of comes up and down. It was, it was great, you know? And, and then we're watching, they're getting a little bigger and a little bigger. And, and every now and then the lifeguard would come over the loudspeaker and say, hey, be careful, know your limitations. Uh, if, if it's too strong for you, move down to the right side of the beach. And if, it's, if you're a stronger swimmer, you can move to the left side of the beach where the waves are larger, right? And so we're like, all right, sweet. Uh, so we thought we were pretty good right there in the middle. I'm like, you know, we're all adults here. We can handle this. And so we're out there and the waves just were getting larger and larger. And it was a lot of fun. We were really enjoying it. And then at one point, we're, we're not very far out. And all of a sudden, uh, they had been kind of capping past us right? And so they're rolling in and crashing beyond us. But at one point, the wave just kind of kept growing and kept growing and kept growing to the point where we were, where we thought we were safe. It starts capping on us right there. So the only thing you can do in that moment is try to turn and swim with this thing, right? And so we try to ride this wave in. My dad was a little further in where he was able to stand and was unable to jump into the wave and ride it fast enough. So the wave decided it wasn't going to wait for him. 
and decided that I'm going to grab you and I'll throw you up onto the beach. And just when you think you're getting your footing, I'm going to have the toe rip your feet out from underneath you and pull you back out just to crash you back up one more time with the wave after that. It was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of being a Texas guy who's mostly from the Dallas area. I don't deal with a lot of waves, uh, as you might imagine. So my little sister, my mom and my older sister were all on the beach and they were watching and they said, no lie, the wave was probably 15 feet high. For some of you, you're like, it's not a big deal. It's only a Yeah, for me, that's substantial. For me, it might as well have been 14 stories and I died, right? That's just kind of where it was. And so this throws it, but my dad got the worst of it. And so he takes it, boom, it throws him up and he kind of rolls up and then the tide just pulls him right back out and then crashes on him one more time. My mom is in up like running, like, are you okay? And he's laughing, which then we started laughing because in the moment we were all scared. But once he laughed and we're like, good, I can laugh at you too. Uh, I mean, with you too, I can laugh with you too. And so we would just have this great laugh. So immediately after that moment, the lifeguard once again goes, uh, yes, just a reminder that the waves are pretty strong. And if you're not a strong swimmer, my dad was like, seriously, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown adult. And I'm like, well, dad, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> to which he said, do you want me to keep paying for this? And I said, yeah. I was just kidding, dad. What are you, 40? Right. Anyways, it's one of those deals. But I, I thought about, and it's like, you know, sometimes that's the way life feels, doesn't it? Just when you think, okay, I'm in a safe spot. I'm riding with it. Like I feel the waves. It's up and down. I'm, I'm cruising with it. And all of a sudden, it just gets larger and larger and it throws you up onto the shore, pulls you back out and then slams you back again. And you go, I can't get out of this cycle. I feel like the waves keep crashing over and over and over again. And I think we can all relate with that at times in our lives where we go, man, there have been heavy, heavy moments where I feel like there is no reprieve and there is no end in sight. Now, my disclaimer to this before we begin this series as a whole, first and foremost, is there are times, because I, I don't take mental health lightly, so I want you to understand that there are moments and times when, when the solution and the answer is finding the right doctor who is going to guide you and walk you through that, that sometimes God's solution to the issues that you're facing is through medical science. I do not discredit medical science. I believe that they are a gift from God, that doctors have been given by the Lord to accomplish a, a healing work in our world. And so, so when I say this, understand that there are moments when it's not just, oh, life is kind of crazy, but there is maybe a legitimate chemical imbalance that needs to be corrected through medications because it needs to be brought into alignment where it should be. So hear me when I say this, that I, my, the message in this series is not to say that if you are struggling with depression, the answer is Jesus and that medical science has no hope for you and that's you should turn. No, 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 no. That's a misconception, I think, a lot of times in the church that, that if you're struggling struggling with or dealing with depression or anxiety or worry or stress, that, that you are not a good Christian in that God has cast you know, his eyes away from you and you are no longer in the favor of the Lord. And so, so hear me when I say this, that is not the case, that there are some very real, and we're going to talk about in just a second, some strong men in the Bible that we find that, that walk through the darkest moments of despair and depression. So when I say this series, and my, my disclaimer, my overarching thought behind all of this is that there may be, there are times when it is legitimately necessary to be medicated and that doctors can help uh, in the way they need to, to help bring your mind into alignment to be where God wants it to be. Is that fair? Understood? 
So, but let's continue to talk about this because there is hope in Jesus as well, right? That's not to say that God can't heal and he doesn't heal. That's not, that, understand, there are times when, when it ha- we have to seek doctors, but here's, here's where we are. So, so the idea that, that if you struggle with stress and, and depression, that you're not a good Christian, that you're a weak Christian, that, that God doesn't love you the way he used to when life was good. And now, because you know, all of that is, is, a, is, is a lie. All of that is not true. In fact, uh, some of the, the biggest names in the Bible walked through some deep, dark moments. Moses had a moment where he said, God, kill me. That's a pretty low moment. You find it in numbers. He is fed up with the people, with the Israelites. And he's going, God, if this is what I have to deal with over and over and over again, I don't want any part of it. And and you might as well just let me die. You can read it. It's in numbers 11. You can find it. You go, oh, wow. Moses was in a dark place in the depths of despair. But it wasn't just Moses. Moses wasn't the only one. Elijah how many of you know the story of Elijah? This is a great story where, where, where he's got the, the prophets of Baal and he goes, and they're going to have this little competition, right? And they're going to pray and they're going to call down fire uh, from their God. And, and then he's, you know, when they set that on, on he'd be like, oh, well, then your God is the true God. He said, but then if it doesn't happen, then I'll call down fire, right? And so you know the story where he's like, if you, if you like sarcasm, Elijah is your guy because he's sitting there and, and they're going and like, they're doing all this prayer and stuff. And he's like, well, maybe you should just keep praying. Maybe, he, maybe he's taking a nap. You need to pray louder to wake him up because your God is taking a nap. He's not setting us on fire. So he does that. And then, and even in some translations you can find where, where maybe the text alludes to the fact that Elijah's going, maybe he's going to the bathroom, right? So Elijah's very sarcastic. And then the, obviously the fire never comes. So then he has him set up the altar and he's like, soak it with water, soak this down. This doesn't make any sense, right? We're going to pray for fire, but we're going to set it all and, you know, just soak it. And then he prays. And then what happens? God sets it on fire and he's like, boom, what's up? But he doesn't just light the altar on fire. He burns up the priests of Baal, you know, the prophets of Baal. And you go, yeah, God wins, right? It's this whole deal. Right after that, okay, this just happened. A big moment, huge victory. He's standing on top of the mountain and literally on top of that. And it's like this big win for Elijah. And then what, where do we find him though? Because he's like, oh, now they're after me. They're going to kill me. Everybody wants me dead. And Elijah says in 1 Kings 19, he says, let me die in the depths of despair. You know what God tells him after that? He says, man, you need to eat something and take a nap. He literally says like, go eat something and go to sleep. Like you're clearly not right. But he's in a dark, dark moment. David now, we know that David was a highly emotional uh, person anyways, and in, in that his, his emotions were all over the place. I, I mean, there's a good chance that we may go to heaven one day and God be like, well, actually, David had a chemical imbalance. Like, you can read it, and, you go, and you're like, ah, oh, that makes sense, and just didn't have the right medicine. Because David, super emotional dude, right? And, and, and so we see in, in Psalm 42, literally, this is the words that he says. He says, uh, day and night, my tears are my food meaning he's not sleeping. He's crying all the time. He has no appetite. And if you're a doctor, you may go, hmm, food aversions, uh, can't sleep, always sad. That adds up to depression. Here we have David who is called a man after God's own heart, dealing with the depths 
of despair, dealing with depression. And what David does then beyond that in this chapter is he tries to encourage his soul. He's like, no, praise the name of the Lord. Praise, praise God and, and remember who God is, right? And so he goes through this whole thing where he is in the deepest, darkest moment of depression. He's saying, all I can do is, is, is walk around in insomnia and cry. So depression and stress and worry, these aren't things that are absent from the word of God. These aren't things that are, are removed from the word of God. These aren't things that God just kind of overlooks and says, no, 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 you need to deal with that on your own. No, no, no. The reality is, is that they are real issues that we face on a day-to-day basis. And even the most famous men in the Bible walked in the darkest moments and they shared it all with us to see. So today, what I want to do is I want to jump into, uh, as we walk through this, is, is Psalm 23. And now Psalm 23 may not be where you automatically go, but I want to walk through this and, and show you this. Something science tells us is this, and, and let this be a little bit of an encouragement to you, that 85% is the number. 85% of what we stress and worry about never happens. That is a study that was done at a university. It's a legitimate number. 85% of what we stress and worry about never happens, which is a little frustrating. You go, I've spent 85% of my time worrying over things that didn't need to be worried about. Here's the other thing. They also tell us that the part of the brain that, that processes worry and stress only matures to the level of a toddler. Think about that. That part of your brain only goes to about a two-year-old. Have you ever tried to reason with a two-year-old? It's impossible. I'm just going to let you know, if you're trying to reason with a two-year-old, you can't. But that part of your brain is what they tell us is it only matures to the level of about a toddler. So you're stressing and worrying and you're trying to reason with yourself through that part of your brain that is not at the maturity of the rest of your mind, apparently. And you go, okay, there's a reason why I keep going back and circling back to the stress and the worry and the fear and all these things. And you go, oh, well, nonetheless, it's, it is what it is and it is, it's, it's where it's at, right? And so, so today, as we start walking through this, I need to let you know that some of this may not seem encouraging, is that fair? Um, in the end, yes, we will be encouraging. I, I want you to know that. But my, my job is to preach the word uh, and, and not to scratch itching ears. But uh, we're going to walk through this a little bit. And, and as we read this, we're going to read all of it today. Um, but we're only going to focus on the first three verses this week as we set our foundation for what we want to walk through. Now, if you are from anywhere near the Bible Belt, if you are from Texas, you most likely have a coffee mug, a t-shirt, or a picture hanging on your wall with the 23rd Psalm on it somewhere. And, and, and you go, I, you know, I, let's, so let's talk about what it really means. And let's talk about what it says. I mean, now, I'm going to read out of the NIV, which may not be the version you memorized in Sunday school. And that's okay. Uh, it, 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 it all says the same thing with slightly different wording. So here it is, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Your goodness and love will follow me 
all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this opportunity to dive into the word. So Lord, I ask that you anoint my lips to speak what you would have me to say today. So God, use me as we walk through the scripture together. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we have to look at, starting in verse one, is this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So we have to define that. We have to have a clear understanding of what does it mean when, when, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And so first of all, we've got to kind of define the different aspects of, of, of what is taking place. And the first thing we need to see is this, that the Lord is the word Yahweh. Now, we've probably heard the term Yahweh. If you've been in church at any length of time, Yahweh, which would be Jehovah, which would be Adonai, which would mean the one true God or God Almighty. So he's saying, understand who the shepherd of your life is first and foremost, that it is the Lord. And so it's not just some good person. It's not just a mighty man. It's, it's even, you know, the sheep of, that were underneath David's care were probably thrilled to say, well, my shepherd is David, right? Whenever the, the beast comes, he, he comes and he kills the lion. He kills the bear. And for the fun of it, he killed a giant. Probably not for the fun of it, but you know what I mean. But the sheep were, were probably like, oh yeah, we've got a really awesome shepherd, and he'll kill anybody that tries to mess with us. It's like this really good thing. You know, as a sheep, you go, I really appreciate when there's a lion and I'm probably going to get eaten, but my shepherd kills him. Like, it's a big deal. But then we have to stop and realize that our shepherd is the Lord Almighty. He is greater than any other person. He is the creator of all living things. Therefore, our shepherd is far greater than anything or any person that we could ever hope to cover us or to watch out for us. And then we have to define what the role of a shepherd is. The role of a shepherd is a protector. The shepherd's role was to watch over the flock, to make sure that none were, were, were going astray, that none were, were getting pulled away by, by the, 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 the animals that would come to eat and whatnot. So the shepherd is this protection that covers and surrounds. So first and foremost, the psalmist is saying, remember who your shepherd is. In the midst of the battles you face, in the midst of the stress and the worry and the guilt and the, and the anxiety and the depression, in the middle of all of that, remind yourself that your shepherd is the Lord Almighty. He is the one true God. He is Adonai. Not just some random guy from off the streets, not just somebody that they hand a staff to and put a sling on their belt, but no, your shepherd, first and foremost, above all things we have to remember is God. And if we can get that first and foremost as our foundation to say, my shepherd, my God is, is watching over me. And it's not just any other person. I am not watching over myself. I'm gonna do my best, but in the end, ultimately God is watching over And then he says, I lack nothing. This doesn't sit well with our consumer culture where it's like, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. I want more, I want more. I push for more, I, I gain more, I want more. This whole deal, right? And that's kind of the, the world we live in is this 
pressing towards more for the next thing, for the next thing, for the next thing. I mean, you think about every phone commercial, it's always like the next big thing is here. No, the next big thing is here. No, we are the next big thing, right? And it's this push for get the next, get the greatest, get the best, right? And it's this desire for more and more and more and more. And we see it all the time. And, it's, and it has been inundated in our culture for, for decades and centuries and for all of eternity, and this mentality of keeping up with the Joneses and this idea of saying, I need, I need, I need. When the psalmist is saying, if God is my shepherd, if the Lord is keeping watch over me, I lack nothing. And I think sometimes the stress that we place on ourselves is driven by the desire for more. And so then we put this mindset of, if I don't get to this, then I haven't obtained enough. I haven't reached the goal. I don't have the status I need. I don't have the, the perception of others that I'm striving for. And that if I don't reach that, then I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Understand and remember that I'm your shepherd. I'm guarding over you. I'm watching you lack nothing. And we have to shift our thinking and our thought process to say from this moment forward, it's not about gaining more. It's about trusting the Lord. And if we can shift our trust to be in the hands of God, then shift all that we are to say, it is in the Lord's hands that he's leading, he's guiding. All of a sudden, it releases us to feel the pressure to do and to create and to be more and to achieve more. Now, is work ethic necessary? Read Proverbs. Yes, don't be lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Work hard. Is, is, is things bad? Are things gonna, no, 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 no. It's, it's not that. It's understanding that those things are not what life is about. It's understanding that God as our shepherd and recognizing that in him we lack nothing and allowing that to be our anchor and our focus in life. That's the purpose. And when we start to shift our thinking, it begins to reduce the stress begins to reduce the worry, begins to reduce the, the anxiety because we're not driven any longer by those things. We then find trust and peace in the hands of God. It's a hard transition to make. It's easier said than done. I can preach it all day long. That doesn't mean you walk out of here like, oh, I got it. Stress-free, right? I wish, right? I wish it was that easy. But we have to begin to tell ourselves to say, okay, heart, no longer have this desire or need for things, pursue the Lord. In him, you lack nothing. It's a tough transition, I get it. It's counterintuitive, right? It goes against our, our natural self. It goes against our flesh. It goes against who we think we should be and what we should become. But we have to say, okay, God, from this moment forward, you are my shepherd. In you, I lack nothing. And place ourselves in that position. Place ourselves there. See, our world tells us that it's about us. And if it's about us, then it can't be about God. And if it's not about God, then all of a sudden, it's on our own ability, it's on our own you know, capabilities, and, and we find ourselves spinning our tires, stress building, anxiety building, depression building, because on our own, we are not able placing it in the hands of God and remembering that he is sufficient. God is sufficient. Everything in this world is only temporary. The, the pain we can feel can be very real, right? The pain we feel here is real. 
but remembering that it is temporary and that if we place our trust in the Lord, we lack nothing. The second thing is this, the Lord leads me. In verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. A lot of times the stress and the worry that we feel is a byproduct of our own doing where we go, okay, well, I shouldn't have done this, but I did that. I should have done this and I didn't. And all of a sudden these things, these little choices begin to add up and begin to cause stress and worry in our own life, right? And we go, yeah, uh, if I wouldn't have done those things, then, then you know, and so we find ourselves then in turn also doing, 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 doing and never stopping. And all we do is just continue to build and build and build and build the stress and the worry and the anxiety and it makes way to depression and all these things, right? They build because we never stop. In verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. What is that talking about? What is that? I mean, do, do any of us ever go, man, I really wish the Lord had helped me to lie down in a green pasture today, right? This, I mean, maybe, I mean, right? You go, actually, that doesn't sound terrible. Uh, it's great weather right now, so... But, but it's, it's not our, our first thought or third, first sense. But what is the psalmist talking about? He's saying this, he, this, this, this lying down is just all about a rest in a position of rest. How, how easy is it for us to neglect rest? How easy is it for us to go, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. There's so many things that have to get done. Even then we rest and we feel guilty for resting because we come back and we go, there were so many things I needed to get done. I left this, I left that, I left this. You know, and you do this. I'm dealing with it right now. Let's be real, okay? We come back and I go, oh man, there's a million things that need to be done. And yet it was commanded to us in the 10 commandments to rest. And we're terrible at it. I had this thought, if I was to rob a bank, okay, as your pastor, I make the news, odds are you would not want me to be your pastor anymore, okay? It's one of the 10 commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Oh, well, our pastor, there he is robbing a bank. But on the flip side, if I neglect the Sabbath, nobody says a word. And it's one of the 10 commandments, just as equal as any other. And so we have to be willing to accept all the commands and walk in that, right? So, so being willing to stop and say, I need rest. Not just because I say I need it, because the word of God commands it. Because if we're gonna be healthy the way we're supposed to be, if our minds are gonna be refreshed, we have to take Sabbath. And how often are we supposed to do that? Oh, well, every single week. And that's hard to do sometimes. I have tried so hard to force myself to take a full day off. And I am, I'll be first to tell you, I am not always good at it. 90% of the time, I am not good at it, right? It's just the reality of the world we live in, right? But yet we're commanded by scripture to stop. So the psalmist says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. That's, it's, it's like saying, like the Lord comes along and says, okay, now I'm going to lay you down right here and you're gonna stop and you're gonna rest. And you're gonna take a deep breath and you're gonna to listen to the water as it just flows by, by these quiet waters. And it's not to say stagnant or stale where like things are growing and mosquitoes are like planting eggs and you're gonna hate life while you're there. But like this, this, this quiet waters, I mean, it's just like a, just this nice 
flowing water, where it's not rapid, where you can't enjoy and get in it, but yet it's calm. And see, God reminds us, and the psalmist reminds us in this moment that we are called to rest. And that one of the greatest resources for health that we have is rest and stopping, taking a day of refreshing. Taking a day of refreshing and remembering that. I mean, God says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So don't get to the end of the week and go, oh, I forgot about that day. I should have took a time, I should have took time off. See, for me, I try to take Fridays off. And, and that usually turns into like, I take some of Friday off and some of Saturday, you know. But I try to find time in there to just shut off and disconnect and, and, and rest. Spend time with my kids, spend time with my wife and just have time to, to step back and just have a refreshing because see, it's vital, it's necessary. I know that whenever, for me, uh, anxiety is something that I deal with. And so I know that if, when I start feeling a lot of anxiety and stuff, I stop and go, okay, have I taken time to rest? Have I taken time to stop and say, God, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna put it in your hands. I'm gonna pray. That's okay to do on the Sabbath, you can pray. But I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna rest. See, this is the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. In the green pastures here, it's not about, you know, just the look of it, but it's in, in the culture, in the time, it is a place of rest, right? It's a place of calm and tranquility, you know, this kind of moment. And then the waters, just this refreshing rest. One of the greatest things that the Bible teaches us is rest. One of the greatest resources we have for, for mental health scripturally is rest. So the first thing is remembering that the Lord is your shepherd. So not putting the stress in the weight of having to do it all yourself, but God is protecting you. He's watching over you. And in that you lack nothing and, and stepping aside and saying, okay, God, I'm placing all that I am in you and trusting that you are my provider. You are my provision in you. I lack nothing and then I have the freedom to stop and rest. Because now I have the framework and the mindset to understand that guess what? At the end of the day, it's in the Lord's hand and I lack nothing. I can shut off and I can rest. I can shut off and I can rest. The third thing is this, it's all for the Lord's name. It's all for the Lord's name. Um, so I will tell you this before we, before we get into this. God is for you. God loves you. He cares for you. He wants to protect you and watch over you. God is in fact in your corner, but not below you. It's all for the name of Jesus. It's all for the name of the Lord. Here's what it says in, in, in verse three. It says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths. Why? For his name's sake for his name's sake. So he's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So that's still in that rest, in that refreshing, in that moment. And, and, and he leads me in, in right paths, or in, in the King James it says, it leads me in paths of righteousness, right? And why does he do all of this? What is the purpose of all? For his name's sake. 
for his name's sake. There's a class that has to do with, with, with missions. And in it, they have this, this teaching that they do between, they call it cat and dog theology. Cat and dog theology. So in, in cat theology, it says this, you feed me, you bathe me, you care for me, you, you watch me, uh, all this stuff. So I must be God. If you have a cat, you know what I'm talking about. And then dog theology says, you feed me, you play with me, you bathe me, you, you care for me, you do all these things. So you must be God. That's why when you come home and you have a dog, the dog's like, oh my goodness, you're here. And it's like the greatest moment in the dog's life is that moment you return, even if you like walked out, forgot something and walked back in, right? You go, I mean, I don't know if you're smart or that you like me that much, or you're just really that dumb that you forgot like, oh, he was only gone for 32 seconds because he made it to the car and goes, oh, I left my coffee inside, right? And you run back and the dog's like, oh my goodness, oh, and you're like, chill out, right? That's our dog anyways. Like he, great dog, very obedient, listens well, and then gets overly excited. He's like, oh, you're here. And it's like, dude, chill. And if you've ever been to my house and you've seen our dog, we have to put him away when people come because he's like, (gasps) right? That's like this dog theology, right? Where you go, oh God, you care for me. You love me. You gave me salvation. You made it, you are God. And so then you get excited and you see, but the problem is too many of us live in this mindset of like this cat theology where it's like, I must be the point. Because if you care for me, you watch out for me, you feed me, you protect me. It must be about me. And God is saying, you're missing the point altogether. It's not about you. I don't do these things because of you. I do them for my name's sake. See, I do these things to stir up affection for me. I I bring you salvation so you praise me in my grace. I I care for you so you praise me and my provision and my protection. It's all to stir up joy and love and affection for me. Not to make you feel like you are the point and you are the purpose because this mindset of I am such an important cog in God's plan that he must need me so greatly is so wrong and opposite to the word of God. I could go through and give you over 50 examples of times when, when God says it is for my glory and for my name's sake and for me to be lifted up. It is never about so that David would be exalted. It's never about so that Moses, so that Paul, so that, so that Ruth would It's never about that. It's always about the name of the Lord being magnified. In fact, if you look at at, at like early, early church, one of the statements they said was that we exist purely to worship and glorify the name of the Lord. That's why we're here. And so when we begin to shift our thought from, it's got to be about me, it's got to be about this, then we'll find ourselves then in frustration towards God when we don't get what we feel like we deserve. And I've said it before, you don't want what you deserve. None of us do. We are all sinners saved by grace. And grace is receiving what we don't deserve. And I'm so grateful for that and thankful for that. And all that is to stir our affection for the name of the Lord, to exalt the name of Jesus and to lift the name of the Father. Everything that he does is so that God will be glorified. God, in essence, is for himself. He loves you, yes. He cares for you. He wants to protect you. But all of that to glorify his name. Sometimes it's hard to remember that and put that in perspective as great as God is because we fight a selfish heart and a selfish flesh.
that has this desire to receive for themselves. And God is saying, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the name of the Lord. It's about the name of the Lord. I'll invite the worship team. So before we can move forward in our series, before we can go forward in, in, in this text, we have to have the understanding, first and foremost, that everything is about the name of the Lord. It's all for the glory of God. It's all to stir the affections of the Father. And when we begin to frame that correctly, it's easier for us to walk free of stress. It's easier for us to walk free of anxiety and depression, free of guilt and worry. Because then it's not about us. And we find freedom in that. It's the greatest news in the world that it's not about us. How, how, how much joy should that be? I mean, that's incredible. When I stop and I go, it's not, a, it's not up to me. It's not up to me. Everything's not hinging on me. You want to talk about finding freedom from stress is when the moment you realize, huh, it doesn't matter. It's the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. And I can trust the Lord. If it was up to me, I would be worried just in the simple fact that, oh man, it's up to me. Because I know that I'm not always capable. I know that I, I drop the ball at times. I know that I mess up. You know, it's one of those deals where you go, if this was all hinging on me, I would never be able to sleep at night. I'd be up tossing and turning going, there's no way. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. But to stop and realize that, oh wait, it's not, it's not up to me. It's all about the Lord. And everything that I do should be about bringing honor and glory to the name of the Lord. It's all for his sake. All for the, 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 the sake of his name. And that reminder that, man, everything that he does is so that my affection for him would be stirred up. So that the joy of my heart will begin to overflow into praise. That the joy of my heart will begin to overflow into worship and saying, oh man, I love you, Lord. Even in my hardest moments, even in the worst times of my life, that no matter what I face and what I go through, one, I can trust you. And because of that, I can worship you. And two, in this moment, I lack nothing. And because of that, I can worship you. I have salvation. And because of your grace, I can worship you. Just reframing our mindset before we move forward through the rest of this. Man, there's some good stuff in the 23rd Psalm that helps us as we walk through stress and worry and anxiety. And here's the thing. There are moments in life that are going to send us to a, a, a deeper level of stress and worry and depression. When, when you walk through death in your family, when you walk through sickness, when you walk through financial change or job loss, those are heavy, heavy moments. And I don't ever want to discredit, diminish, or, or take away from those. Because the reality is they're real. But an even greater reality is that in that, God is still working. And in that, we can still trust in the name of the Lord. 
But in that, we can still say, God, at the end of the day, no matter what I walk through, if it gets worse from here, or if there's a radical change in the other direction, either way, I can trust you. And through that, I can praise you. And I can glorify your name. Father, I love you, Lord. God, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. And I thank you, Lord, that that you push us to to draw us closer to you, Lord, that that you, you try to stir our love for you and our affection for you, to increase that joy, to overflow into praise, to overflow into worship. God, I pray today that that in our hearts that we'll begin to change our thought and and our trust in you and begin to shift and to say, oh God, it's about you. And if it's about you, Lord, you care more for your name than I do. And in the end, you want your name glorified so I can trust you to know that you are leading me to a a place that that says, "I, I want to glorify you for your name's sake and who am I God who is here for just a moment just a sliver of a second in light of eternity to think that I know better that I know a better way than the creator of all things who has been in existence for all of eternity who has seen everything for me to think that that I can come along and say, no, 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 let me do it this way. Let me do it my way. To think that you don't know better. And so Lord, we, we stop. And in this moment, as we begin this series, as we lay this foundation, we stop and we say, God, we want to build all things on you so that you receive glory, so that you receive honor. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I know that over these next few weeks as we talk through these different topics, I know that this is a, a, a topic that so many people walk through and deal with, right? Especially when you throw in the word stress. It's like stress, oh, to everybody, right? So I, I'm gonna be in, in prayer for all of you and for, for, for us as we walk through this to say, okay, God, give us wisdom as you lead us through this. And I think God has already kind of given me some clear direction through this series, but, but my heart is, in, is going to be in prayer over you as well. And just the real, man, if I could really hit at anything heavy, it's this idea of rest and refreshing. Rest and refreshing. And taking time to find time where you just set aside and say, God, I want to sit in your presence. I just want to sit and just rest in the presence of the Lord. And you know what may happen? It could be nothing. You may just walk away and fall asleep. I don't know. And just go, oh, God, thanks for that. I feel more refreshed. You may get in that moment and all of a sudden you just find yourself just weeping. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just, sometimes the presence of God will do that to you where you go, I'm just overwhelmed and now I'm just crying and thank you, Lord. But my prayer is this, that, that you just find time to rest in the presence of God. And that you just say, God, Restore my heart, restore my mind, restore my soul. 
that may just find refreshing. We pray for you. Father, I love you, Lord, and I thank you, God, for this church. I thank you for the, these men and women that are just incredible and that they just love you and that their heart is for you and that they're just in pursuit of you. So, God, I pray that as we walk through this over these next few weeks, that, that you allow your spirit, that you allow your hand to, to just begin to work in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I pray for uh, restored minds. God, I pray for, for healthy minds. God, that, that stress and depression and worry and anxiety, Lord, that it begins to just fall away. That it just begins to fall away as we begin to realign ourselves with you. God, that you bring clear direction to each of us. We thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. God, I pray that your hand will rest on each of us, that you will walk with us this week, Lord, as we pursue you and in your will. Lord, I pray that you guide us in all things and that, and that we seek you out in every moment of every day. We praise you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.